is Free Cookies from ESPNW. I'm Catherine Budig. And I'm Kate Fagan. And this is a podcast all about sports, wellness, and pop culture. In today's show, we're going to go naked. Totally nude. And by naked, we mean guest list. We are going without a guest. Today's guest is driven by y'all, the listeners. We asked for questions and you delivered. In fact, you over-delivered. It's true. So there's so much delivery that we are bringing in our badass producer, Sarah Johnson. She, I can't even go on about how amazing she is. You'll hear it for yourself. She has handpicked um, as many, there's so many good questions, but she picked some pretty pertinent ones we'll see. that we're going to talk about later in the and show. And for the end of the show, KB and I will talk what we're calling free biscuits. Cookies <laughs> as they relate to dogs. Not but the English kind, the exactly. dog kind. But it's going to be more than that because we also have very strong opinions about something specific. Super fiery opinions. It's about a household dog item that you, dear listener, might currently own. <laughs> right, so you don't want to miss this because we are here to save you from yourself. But first, first, it's NBA free agency and we're putting a free cookie spin on it. Yeah, yeah. So, in the NBA, right now it's free agency. And for those of you non-sportsers out there, that's where a lot of NBA players get the chance to sign with whatever NBA team they want to sign with. Any player. No, only players who contractually are up to be a free agent. Exactly. Their other contracts have expired, and now they're on the open market. We've already seen so LeBron few- James, like, always... Agent. Does he, he have it worked into his contract that he's he signs free like agent? one or two year deals, so he seems like he's always a free agent. So that is okay. that's a smart point to make there. Yes. You're so observant. Hmm. So some of the stuff's already gone down. Like Steph Curry out in Golden State has agreed to re up with the Golden State Warriors for two hundred plus. And he was million. on a five year deal. Yeah, before. five year, two hundred million. He had signed a four year, forty four million dollar deal, which believe it or not was low for him because he was having ankle injuries. So now he's on a five year, two hundred million dollar deal. So. He got, he got quite an upgrade in his deal. We got Paul Millsap. He signed with Denver. Chris Paul got traded to the Rockets. So all of this is going on in the NBA. It's, it's a summer frenzy. So we thought... Free- Would you say it's emotional for them? Yes, it's emotional. Or is it cha-ching? Oh, I think, I mean, I think it's a combination of things. In fact, that's what we want to explore right now. I mean, a lot of the guys that we end up talking about, it's not necessarily cha-ching because for the most part, most of the teams are considering... Or are- bling, like trophy bling. So that's what we're going to explore. We're free cookie spinning on it saying, what team, what team and city would we sign with if we were NBA free agents? Mine's pretty simple. I gave a long look to the New York Knicks, who are the most dysfunctional franchise in the NBA. And despite loving them, I can't sign with the New York Knicks. I'm going to sign with the Philadelphia 76ers. Wait, loving them or loving John Starks? I love the Knicks and I love John Starks. John Starks is sort of like the figurehead that is emblematic of my... Adoration for the New York Knicks. Okay. But I can't sign with the Knicks. There's just too much dysfunction. I figure that we'd go through like four head coaches while I was there and we would win an average of like 20 games. You know, by the way, it's an 82 game season, so it's not a lot of games. I just, I can't sign with the Knicks. So I'm signing with the Philadelphia 76ers. I love the Sixers. They have a bright future. They've got a bunch of top level. Did they get young... the first pick this year? They did. Markel okay. Fultz. But doesn't that insinuate that their team is not that great? Right, exactly. They're up and coming. I agree that I'm getting in on the bottom level. They're so not good. you don't want to join a good team. You want to be the person who's coming in and, and cleaning it up. Well, I, I think I'm a role player for the Sixers, and I'm content with that. I'm probably going to get the mid-level exception, like, you know, maybe $8 million a year. No big deal. I'm not like a big superstar, but I want to be on a young, up-and-coming team. no big deal, $8 million? I mean, that's pretty no, that's <laughs> no big deal in the NBA these days. So I'm signing with the Sixers. I love Philly. I think it's an underrated restaurant town. They've got fabulous coffee. 
I, I think the cost of living is not as high as it might be if I go, went and signed with Golden State or even in Miami. So I'm going to become a Philadelphia 76er. Now, the question for you, Catherine Beautig, is yes. you're an NBA free agent. Where are you going? You want me to toss some, some cities out yeah, for you? Yeah, why don't you hit me with cities and, then, right. and I will tell you how I feel about that. Catherine Budig. Yes, ma'am. You are going to sign for the mid-level exception, so just assume that you're going to sign for $8 million a year Should wherever you go. Should I be insulted go. by that? No, you're at the later stages of your career and you think you're a nice addition to some team. You're going to sign for like... You'll be like I'm the, in the sunset years of my the eighth NBA or career. ninth highest paid player on the roster, and you're going to make eight million a year. You're going to feel good about that. Okay. So, do you want to sign in Los Angeles because of the weather and because of the quality of life out there? You've got the Lakers or the Clippers. You know, Lakers to me are synonymous with bling. It, it's just if I really wanted to go dribble balls past famous people all the time and yeah. like. High five directors and actors, and and like accidentally spill a drink on Beyonce. Then I would go to the Lakers, but I've kind of I've done eight years in L.A. and that mm-hmm. doesn't really do much for me. I miss the farmers market, but that's just not going to pull me back to California. Okay, next. Okay, how about we send you down south to Texas? Houston Rockets are building a very strong team. You could go to Houston or the Dallas Mavericks. Either of those interest you? You know, if I had an amazing sponsorship with an apparel company and I was out you're at the team. mid-level exception so you probably maybe have a Reebok type deal I'm not sure well I was just saying that I would go there if I could sign a deal to create a cowboy boot inspired basketball high top okay so you're not going there no but that could be dope okay that could be cool what about let's go let's go farther north here we'll just we'll, we'll curve west a little bit either the Denver Nuggets because of the I hate altitude three, I hate altitude but there's a lot of sun 350 days of sun a year I would have to work out so hard to be in shape there, and, and I'm in the the sun the the sunset years of my career, so I don't need that. So you don't want to work that hard on the mid level exception. Fine. Let's no. go farther north and a little bit east, like Chicago. Yes, I love Chicago. Okay, so you're taking a meeting with Chicago. I would take a meeting with Chicago, but I don't know. You know, the Chicago Bulls is just so mainstream. Is it? You do you feel like the there's too much to live up to? I just feel like if you were abroad and you were talking about the NBA and you were asking someone who doesn't really follow the NBA and you asked them to name a team, who wouldn't know the Chicago Bulls? Okay, so you don't want to necessarily sign up for like the, one of the marquee teams? At this moment in my career in the NBA, no. No, okay. You want to fly a little below the radar. Okay, let's throw out some of the East Coast teams just to see how you feel. You could be a Boston Celtic. You could be a New York Knick. You could join me on the Philadelphia 76ers. You could the, dribble the balls near me and pass me the balls. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's, let's stick with those. Or, or uh, Washington. I think, you know, what about Atlanta? Okay, so you're just bypassing the East Coast altogether. You want to go to the South. Yeah. Atlanta Hawks, Charlotte Hornets. No, North Carolina has a lot of political issues that I am not pleased with, so I would find and myself you're gay in Atlanta. Now, so no Charlotte for you? Gay-ish. We're going to talk about that. Okay. So you think, so you're not even taking that meeting with Chicago. You thought about it, and then you crossed it off I think the it books. would be down to Chicago and Atlanta for me. But now you have to pick. That's a lot of pressure. I haven't had conversations. I don't know if I'm going to ha- be able to design my high tops. So you're not picking. I mean, this is the point of it. Either Chicago or Atlanta, The fo- <laughs> you have to pick up the phone and make the call right now. Okay. Who are you calling? It depends. I mean, if I would get my high top deal and a year of free deep dish Chicago style pizza, okay, then I think I would go to the Bulls. And what would lure you to Atlanta? Let's say let's pretend I'm the GM of Atlanta and I need to know how to get Catherine Budig to dribble the basketball on my court. Uh, free direct trips to Charleston wherever I want. Okay. And grits. 
All right, I can give you both those things. Do you want to become an Atlanta Hawk for the mid-level exception? I feel like you really want me to go to Atlanta, so I'm going to say yes. Okay, you signed with Atlanta. Because I, I signed... run things by my partner. Okay, good. And I'm I'm in Philadelphia, so I, I'm, I'm actually kind of hurt that you didn't want a direct flight to Philly. Instead, you wanted one to <laughs> Charleston, but that's fine. We'll both play in the Eastern Conference where it's much easier to get to the NBA Finals. Done. Okay, y'all, so at the very beginning of the show, we promised you that we were going to go naked, which is actually quite comical because I'm wearing a onesie today, and let me tell you, it takes a really long time to get naked, and when I have to go to the bathroom, I actually legitimately have to be naked, but that is BS. That's a very high-maintenance outfit you're actually wearing today because I had to follow you to the bathroom because I had to help button you back into your outfit. It's one button, which I have the flexibility to do it because of my years of yoga, but it's a really tricky button. So um, back on back on track, back on track. We have our producer Sarah Johnson here today who has diligently sifted through all of the amazing email questions that you have sent to us. Thank you, Cookie Monsters. Uh, and she is going to interview us. And a little bit about Sarah before we toss the microphone over to her. Aside from being our amazing producer and almost single-handedly shepherding this podcast to the world, she is also the content chair of ESPN's employee resource group called Equal, which is our LGBT employee resource group, and the work there is awesome. And by content chair, we mean that she ensures that the way ESPN discusses LGBTQ issues include the proper terminology, and so you can imagine that she is the perfect producer for this podcast. And so, we turn it over to Sarah Johnson. No, I'd actually like to stay in the bathroom um, (laughs) conversation that we've been having, because a lot of people that wrote into the show... Uh, Lori Long, Cindy McCarty, Emily Ingram, Brenda Moore, all of these people have been on the receiving end of being called sir. Mm -hmm. And every single one of them had short hair. So as we're seeing, like literally across the country, across the world, this is happening to women left, right and center. And I know for me personally, this has happened in the bathroom over and over and over. And typically... You know, I have this um, kind of unconscious thing that happens when I walk into a bathroom where my reaction is to take my hat off, Mm -hmm. to stick my chest out, to kind of open my eyes a little bit wider and smile so that I look a little bit more feminine or, you know, make other people in the bathroom feel comfortable. When at the end of the day, I think the conversation is really about other people opening their eyes. Yes. Um, You know, and it got me thinking that, you know, gender is such a deep part of our identity and and we're hearing from all of our cookie monsters that this is something that they've been laughing off and they've been just saying oh it you know it doesn't bother me it just happened you know someone just called me that ha 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 but at the end of the day like it really is something that deeply hurts um and i know for me um it feels a little bit humiliating. It makes me feel unwelcome. And then I get mad at myself for feeling that way in mm-hmm. a public place that I have every right to be. Mm-hmm. And for, you know, accommodating other people instead of just going to the freaking bathroom and walking out. Um, so I think we really struck a chord with people um, who have experienced a lot of that and have been self-conscious about it. And, you know, it kind of got me thinking too, like, when I look at a baby, I'll always say, hey, oh, so cute. How old are they? Yes. So smart. They we actually so smart. just experienced that in, in Charleston recently, where there was a beautiful little boy mm-hmm. who had, you know, luscious, gorgeous, blonde, flowing hair. And perhaps from a distance, you wouldn't be able to tell if it was a boy or a girl. And this little boy was misgendered at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And an, uh, it was an older woman. An older woman. And when she walked away from the interaction with the parents, you could see that she turned 
what she must have felt em- embarrassment mm-hmm. into blame. Shrugged you know? her shoulders. And then she, she was kind of saying to me and anyone else around, like, how, how was I supposed to know? How was I supposed to know? Like, it, their son has long hair. How was I supposed to know? And I'm like, woo. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you should just be recognizing how archaic the symbols are that you are using to gender and maybe just pause and think, how can I be more careful next time with my words? Yes. Instead of just being like, it's their fault. Right, because that's—I mean—that's how I've often. We could spend the whole podcast talking about this, Sarah. But that's how I've often felt: is this, if I'm misgendered, this is my fault, and I should get more in line with what society has told me will help people gender me properly, and then I just change who I am in order to fit and avoid this embarrassment. Which then, as you get older, you realize that's not what I want to do. And then you, at least for me, I shifted back into no, I'm going to be me. I can't tell you how many times I've been washing my hands at the sink and seen either in my periphery or right in front of my face. Someone open the door and go, oh, oh no and way. look at the sign on the door. Yep, that's happening Make to me sure all the time. Make sure they're in the correct space and then go, oh, no, <laughs> and kind of go about their thing. And I want to turn around and just be like, it's a short haircut. That's it. That's all it is. That's it. Like that's there it. have been times where I'm in pink. I'm in all of those gender appropriate. Like I love pink. Yeah, I love it. You know, but but people just, you know, they don't take that two seconds. And, and I even do it with dogs. Like, I'm so conscious of it. When I see dogs, I'm yeah. like, your dog is beautiful. How old are they? <laughs> or your dog is beautiful. What kind of dog is that? I did that the it's other day. I love this. It's that yeah. hard. With dogs, I just like bend down and I look and I'm like, oh, it's a boy. Because <laughs> I feel like you can do that with dogs. Y- you no. can do that. With but dogs Catherine said to me the other, yesterday, when we were reading through these emails mm-hmm. from freecookies at ESPN.com, and so many of you guys out there were talking about walking into public bathrooms. And Catherine, you even said to me, you were like, has this ever happened to you? And I was like, oh, my God, this, this is exactly every time I walk into a bathroom, I do exactly what Sarah just mentioned. The, the added thing I do, which maybe Sarah, you do as well, is I try and make eye contact with everyone. Yep. I force eye contact and I like if I I get way more friendly because I want to speak because if you hear my voice, then that that solves the situation. Mm -hmm. So like as people are leaving, I make eye contact and I say, hello, hi, good morning. Like, I mean, I'm like the most chipper person because I just want you to recognize me, see me, hear my voice. And then therefore you won't do that thing that you do, which is look at the door, make sure you're in the right spot. And then I feel like the ground has shifted beneath me. So we've gotten so many awesome emails, it's been hard to narrow down which ones are going to make the show this week. But the great news is, if we don't get to them today, we'll get to them in another episode. One that came to mind was from a listener named Kimberly, who's in a situation where she's been attracted to men her entire life and identified as straight. She recently met a girl who she found herself very attracted to and started dating, and that has shaken her world up. So she would love to hear about what it was like when the two of you met um, and what your relationship has been like since then. Sure. Catherine, that's for you as, you know, the one who was super straight for so long. Oh, was I super? Look at all the assumptions going on. I mean, you were the straightest person ever. I've, I've had people tell me I'm super straight. I've also had someone recently tell me when they found out that I was in a relationship with a woman that, wow, so it, word on the street is that you're a big time lesbian now. <laughs> it's, it's like, um, so boxes are very a, popular. And if you try to even stick your nose out of one, you better get that nose back in the box. Is one box like lesbian and then the other box is big time lesbian? Is there anything <laughs> between there? Can you be like a medium time lesbian? Well, I, I feel like if you were talking to someone who's maybe super heteronormative and you ask about sexuality, they would say they're straight and gay. You know, so it's like you're straight, you're gay, or you're bi. So, 
I want you. I give it to us. Give it to the Cookie Monsters. I want. I want the story. The Catherine Budig story. The Catherine Budig story. It's a lifetime movie. <laughs> well, so when I when I first met Kate, I was married to a man, and for my entire life, I the relationships, the long term relationships that I've always been in, have been with men. Um, that being said, I've always been attracted to men and women my entire life, and I have had relations with women throughout my life, but I've never actually been in a relationship with a woman before. And so I've always found myself being very open with sexuality, but in retrospect, probably considered myself, if you had to give me a box to check, I would say heterosexual because I always dated men. Uh, Now, if you were to ask me what I sexually identify as, I, I like the word fluid. Just because bisexual to me insinuates that I have had many relationships with both men and women and beyond. And I have not. I have been in one serious relationship with That's me. With you. But I think fluid is a good word that I feel comfortable with using. Bisexual doesn't bother me either. I just don't want to insult someone who has actually been bisexual their entire life. And then I waltz in and I'm like, I'm bisexual. I consider myself fluid because I am attracted to humans. I'm attracted to men. I'm attracted to women. And i that's what I look for. I don't look for a gender-specific person. I look for someone that I connect with. And and Kate has all the reasons that you'd want to be with her. I mean, she's gorgeous. She's smart. She's I could go on and on. But I just I didn't see, oh, she's a woman. I can't be with her. I saw I am so attracted to this person and what they do that I want to be with her. And she happens to be a her. So it was not... And I've been very fortunate to be raised in a family where there's no judgment around that. When I first told my parents that I was dating Kate, I, <laughs> and sorry, mom, this is actually pretty funny. Uh, she was a little weird at first. And of course, I was all uppity about it. And I confronted her one day and I was like, look, if you're not OK with me being with a woman, you just need to say it and you need to put it out there. And she's like, no, no, I don't mind that you're with a woman. I just I just don't understand the sex part. <laughs> <laughs> that's not awkward at all mom I but I, it's it was quite I guess I could call that adorable but you know just and it reminded me that for a lot of people it's not judgment as much as in just not understanding I will th- that reminds me of when I was younger and I had never kissed a woman before so this was college I had thought I, I knew I wasn't straight but I was like I'm straight I'm straight I'm straight I'm straight every time I would you know have a crush on a girl I was like that's just what everybody thinks when they meet a new friend okay you just think about them a lot and you hope they call you every night and that's just what friendship is it's what I convinced myself I was very straight until college and I remember the first time that I now thought about kissing a girl and that other the person I was thinking of identified as gay so it was like a possibility there was in my mind the biggest hurdle to the concept of kissing a girl as if it was going to be this vastly different physical experience. And then the second it happened, I was like, oh, this is exactly the same. I mean, maybe better in my mind, but <laughs> it, like the physical experience, I think a lot of people get hung up on thinking it's, it's going to be night and day different. Yes. Yeah. What was your experience when it came to actually crossing quote unquote again air quotes crossing the line and like first ever kissing a woman where you're like this is going to be so different and then it wasn't? I, I mean, the first time I, I kissed a woman was in college as well. 
And I don't think I had expectations of it being vastly different. I mean, it turns out like a mouth is a mouth and a tongue is a tongue. And when you put a tongue and a tongue together. Sarah, is that Disney friendly? Can we say that? (laughs) Yeah, just threw up a little. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I, I guess my biggest takeaway when I was first with a woman was that I felt safe. There was just something very comforting about it that I had not felt with men before. If I can ask one more follow up before throwing it back to Sarah to expand the questions. She's still wiping the throw up off her face. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps embedded in that question too was our listener wanting to know from you, Catherine, when we first started dating, how you felt maybe socially and telling your friends and how did you feel about then being with a woman? Yes. I Okay, when I first told my best friend about you, I... I felt like I was throwing her a curveball, for sure. And I, in retrospect, I think in the moment, it felt more dramatic to tell them than it really needed to be. Not because I was afraid of them judging me, but there was a moment of, I mean, I, I was married, I was with a man, I, my relationship wasn't working, so there's that bomb of, like, I'm in a marriage that isn't right for me, and I'm waking up to this isn't the person that I'm really in love with anymore to not only am I not in love with him anymore, I'm in love with someone else. And it's a woman! Oh my God! You know, it, so it, there was a little bit of dramatics around it, but the reaction to every person that I care about in my life when I told them about you, they just smiled. There was just this excitement for me. And I think their reaction was so normal that it also normalized the situation. Where I was like, it's really not different. I'm with a human. I want to be with another human. And in walking around, like maybe I think at first I, I felt more eyeballs on me than I had walking. If I walked down the street holding a man's hand versus walking down the street holding your hand, definitely we get more looks without a doubt. But it wasn't a look of judgment. It was just more of a you don't always see two women walking down the street holding hands together. I would actually say that I probably have more issues internalized homophobia if we were going to use that phrase absolutely you do but you've had more history with it you know I didn't this isn't it wasn't a oh I'm coming out moment I've been hiding this I I haven't been who I really am until now there hasn't been any of that for me it was just I fell in love with a woman and maybe it's you know I'm 35 years old and I fell in love with a woman after I've been through a lot in my life and I know who I am so there wasn't this big young dramatic I don't know who I really am and my sexuality going on Like, I feel confident in who I am as a person. So it was easier for me at this part of my life, perhaps, could be part of it. But there was just never any fear of, you know, people asking me, like, well, when are you going to announce it on on social? Like, when are you going to tell people you're with a woman? I'm like, I don't care. And if people don't like that I'm with a woman, then they can go somewhere else. And that's their issue, not mine. I don't that's just something that I honestly have not struggled with. She really hasn't, guys, listeners like this is not a. I would say more, I drop your hand more often than you drop my that hand. That is absolutely true, and it's pissed me off a couple times. Yeah, like, because if I see... A There's been workplaces of, before where you've dropped my hand, and I'm like, seriously. Yeah, or if I see a group of kids approaching, or if, I, if, if for any reason some old embedded fear takes over me about who we're approaching on the street, I drop your hand. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you, like, reach for it again, or afterward, you'll be like, you'll be like why do you do that? Yeah. And so I, I always I find that fascinating because like I'm the one who polices myself like and it's it's this archaic form of policing that I continue to do, whereas you have a completely different perspective on it and have in a lot of ways made me better 
and more open with who I am. Really? Yeah. We were talking earlier about the word lesbian, and uh, it's not a word that I use. Um, it's not a word that I, you know, a lot of, of friends of mine who are gay use because the word itself has become so negative mm-hmm. or in our entire upbringing was used in such a negative way. There was always the like, oh, she's a lesbian. Oh, lesy this, lesy that sports. comment. Especially in sports and especially those assumptions in sports where, you know, it's that like reverse stereotype. If you're a man who plays sports, you can't possibly be gay. But if you're a woman who plays right. sports, you most you, definitely right. are yeah. gay. Um, but lesbian is a word to me that I, that just became ugly and I can't shake it. And you bring up the word lesbian, which I feel like I need to chime in on because it's something that I don't talk about publicly a lot. In fact, I, I moderate a lot of panels in the LGBTQ sports world with talking about at college athletic departments. And so I talk about these issues a lot. And I will use the word lesbian as a self-identifier if I feel like for the crowd that I'm speaking to for the audience, it's important that I do. I don't want to reject that word. If it was a lesbian-oriented crowd, you mean? Yeah. Okay. Right. Like if I'm at um, like a sports summit for LGBTQ people, you know, I would I would use that word and try and use it in a way where I'm I'm honoring it yes. as a, an identifier and not filling it with the kind of ugliness that it conjures in my mind, you know, I'm like, so, you know, so we have a lot of lesbians here, you know, something like that, or a lot of people who identify as lesbian and try and re reintroduce it into the language in a better way. But I personally don't identify with that word. Yeah. And even in emails that we got f- for this podcast, when if someone used that word, well, well, how do you, what's it like being a lesbian? Or I, I want to say, I don't identify as a lesbian. Well, and, and that's been my experience as someone who was with a man before this. But you're a big-time lesbian. But I'm a big-time lesbian now, y'all. <laughs> There's a difference. Oh, and, well, my trigger for that word is it shows to me the people who use the word, if they're referring to you or they're referring to me, is their lack of education with identification and words. And that's what bothers me, is that they're like, oh, you're with a woman, you're a lesbian. It's like, why don't you broaden your mind for just a second and look outside of your personal experience? Right. I need to add one more thing about like how, how we define. Because this, and I know it's a Disney podcast, but like I'm going to try and explain my own personal identification. I always, I always use the word gay because I feel that it conjures more of like a cultural, social identification as well. Like I identify with... I would go to the Pride Parade and I identify with the word gay because I think it also represents maybe like a little bit of an outsider, but like stylish in a way. <laughs> um, but another reason I don't identify with the word lesbian is because in my mind, it means no attraction to men whatsoever. Right. And I that's not who that's not me. And there is no word that actually describes my spectrum of sexuality because like I always want to date women. I want like I, I want women to call me. I want to go to brunch with women. I, with, well, oh, one woman, excuse me, Catherine. But <laughs> go on. But if you actually said like, who am I attracted to? It would be everybody. Mm-hmm. And wh- where's the word for that? Because I don't. Do I, you relate to fluid at all? Even though you would. I don't really want to date a man. Almost ninety nine percent of the time, want to date women. Right. I mean, I'm somewhere. But you're sexually attracted to both men and women. Right. There's no actual word that I think I could say in like the general population. Be like, oh, I understand what that means. Right. And so when people say lesbian, I'm like, no, because somewhere in that also, to me, conjures like, oh, definitely doesn't like men. Right. And that's not accurate either. But I think you've hit on on an important topic is the spectrum. You know, that word spectrum. There is no acronym 
that is long enough that's going to encapsulate all say, the LGBTQ, ways we identify. It's like we could keep going. We could and then we start going. getting made fun of in the LGBT community because we keep adding identifiers. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's a spectrum, everybody. So like if we created a word mm-hmm. for like how I identify, right? Like sexually attracted to all humans, but really only wants to date women, <laughs> then you would add that to the end of LGBTQI and then everyone would just laugh. Well, a little fun fact for you. So do you know the reason we stop at the Q? No, please tell us. So we stop at the Q, Q being queer more so than questioning, because it's meant to to include any gender or sexual minority. So we have the I, we have the A, we have right. the acronym that goes on and on. But the Q is really an umbrella for anyone who identifies to any sexual or gender minority minority that cannot be put in this tiny little box. Because I don't think there's ever going to be one word, no matter how many we add, that perfectly encapsulates the entirety of one person's gender and sexuality. Agreed. Uh, We had another listener write in, Lori. She wants to know if there's one thing that's huge that you've each learned from each other. So, for example, Kate, is there one thing that you've learned from Catherine's wellness world that you feel made a huge impact on your life? And, And same thing for you, Catherine, whether it's in the sports world or something else from Kate. Absolutely. The biggest, and this is Catherine speaking, the the biggest thing that my takeaway from being with Kate is because of, it it really bounces off the conversation that we just had, was her attention to words and what they mean. Not the literal translation, but how that actually, when spoken, affects the listener. So it has dramatically affected my way of speaking and my way of finding inclusive language because there are things that I've just grown up thinking it's okay to say ABC and this is normal. And she will quickly catch me and be like, this is why. And I'm not saying overly PC, but just really making my language purposeful and realizing that if you choose to use this word, this is how it could potentially affect someone in a positive and or negative way. So think twice. I've learned a lot from Catherine and I could go into like the nitty gritty details of like, wellness and <laughs> yoga and mindfulness and how to eat healthier and al- alternatives. But for me, the biggest eye opener for being with Catherine, and this translates to every part of my life, is I now have the belief that I can always have, like, if I keep pursuing it, I can have the best of whatever I want. And I mean that because I, you know, I've been in previous relationships. I've been in ones where I knew I'm getting one thing but not another. I knew I want more of this, but maybe you can't have that. Um, and everybody goes through this at, at various points when, when in the dating process, you just think, okay, well, maybe I can't have the person that like I dream of. And then being with Catherine makes me think, no, like you can have this awesome thing and you can you don't have to settle. And I think I'd now translate that to so much more like – when it comes to career-wise, there are points where I could have been, well, no, of, co- of course I'm not going to get that radio show or I'm not going to be able to ever host Outside the Lines. But I'm like, no, I should I should send that email. Like, I could, these, these possibilities could become reality. And so maybe that's not like, hey, I now know that cashews can be turned into cheese. I do know that now. But <laughs> and yogurt. And yogurt. Um, there are, I have learned a lot of those things, but it's more of a big picture change in what I think my life can be like. So you're saying you can have your gluten-free cake and eat it too. I like it. All right, let's lighten it up a little bit. We've got an email that came in from Andy, and she wants to know, 
did y'all lose your minds when you saw Mad Sweeney is porn stash <laughs> from Orange is the New Black? On American Gods. On American Gods. Yes, actually. I'm really glad you emailed me this because I, Kate immediately knew who the actor was. I mean, yes. I watched Orange is the New Black and I was like, oh, that's the that's the dude. Well, that's porn stash from I, Orange. And I, I was like, cool, let's move on. I didn't you religiously, blew your mind. It did because I didn't religiously watch that show. But I have seen it, and the, the actor's name is Pablo Schreiber, who's actually Liv Schreiber's half Isn't it Liev? Liev. Liev. Say it with the proper enunciation. I mean, look at you. Like It's always like macaroon, and then just Liev. Liv. Liv. Really? That's Sorry, what we went with? Liev. <laughs> anyway. He listens. Well, he, yes. I, I'm hoping Pablo's listening, because Pablo, you are hot as hail in American Gods. I'm really enjoying that faux hawk mohawk thing mm-hmm. that he's got going on the red hair but the point is he is this really dynamic sexy leprechaun <laughs> on american <laughs> not guys. a sentence you didn't, see that. you didn't see that coming did you and obviously porn stash is a whole nother story so all i'm saying pablo you are a damn good actor because i never would have put two and two together and bravo bravo so, All right, so maybe the answer is Pablo for you, but Nikki Mender wrote in, if each of you could have dinner with one person, we'll say dead or alive, from any time period, anywhere, who would you pick, Kate? Go. I would pick Lee Harvey Oswald, and it's simply huh. because I need to know right? if he killed JFK. Like, I'm obsessed with JFK and the assassination. I know there's a lot of listeners and, and humans out there who are. I would say once a year, I spend... Five to six hours during the course of a couple days, rereading, rewatching everything that has to do with the JFK assassination. See, I would have thought it would World War II for you. It could have been Hitler because I'm also fascinated with we World War II. We've watched every World War II movie. Okay, it's true. The reason that it's not somebody from World War II, Hitler, FDR, is because there's no great mystery that they can answer for me whereas if I had dinner with Lee Harvey Oswald assuming that he would be honest and I guess at this point it's been what would he have to lose if it's just a random dinner with me truth serum and if we pulled him back from the dead I mean I had given him a lot to bring him back so (laughs) that's who I would want because I would want to have the answer to what I think is the biggest question that most Americans want the answer to and that is who killed JFK you are speaking for a lot of people yeah all right right. well I'm just gonna speak for myself selfishly don't and make it Brad Pitt. You're better than that. I mean, do you even know me? I know Brad not, Pitt. I know it's not going to be Brad Pitt. Okay, this is probably predictable for the listeners. So I would want to sit down with Neil Gaiman because I'm a writer. I, I've written primarily about wellness, non-fictional. And my dream is to write fiction. It's I'm hoping in my elder years I will have created phenomenal stories that will live on forever, which is exactly what he's done. And he he writes in the way that I think about my writing Uh, He has a way of encompassing, he's this unbelievable encyclopedia of mythology, and yet he writes in a way that is gritty and real. And it's, I just love when writers, authors, humans have the ability to take magic and make it tangible. So I would love to sit with him, not only to maybe spit out some of my ideas and go, oh God, no, I don't want to tell him my ideas. That would be horrible. But just so it's like a business meeting. Would you? No, want? a mentorship. I, oh, would, a mentorship. I just. So I this know, isn't a like single could... dinner you want. You want like a lasting relationship. I, I, yes. So murder and business meetings. Yes, got it. I just love him. There was someone who emailed us, and when they said my name first, and did you read that in parentheses? They said, "Sorry, I went to Catherine's page first. Kate, I have a feeling you like being first. Oh, oh. it's just a pers- it's a persona I put on for the microphone. It's not really me, guys. 
Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for listener questions. However, Emma Grace, I know you wrote in you're dying for an episode where Kate and Catherine just talk their relationship, life, how they met, all that. Stay tuned. That will be coming up. Thanks, Sarah. And I guess for listeners who do like personal information about us, here's this little tidbit. We have two dogs. Two dogs, Kiona and Ashi. A puggle and a husky. And we also have some pretty serious opinions about dog etiquette. Because since we have two dogs, we are out on the New York City streets all of the time with these dogs where we get to engage with other dog owners. Okay, but before we get to this, should I rank dog biscuits, do you think? Because when you walk into PetSmart, there are those like cookies and they look like sugar cookies and they have like icing on it. It's like there's this whole world of cookies for dogs. So should I put together like a dog list? I'm just going to stoutly stand here and say if we can't even discuss Oreos making the list and you think we're going to hop over to dog biscuits, you are out of your mind. Okay, cool. That's fine. After these messages, we'll be right back. Washing my nose, oh yeah. I'm a shower curtain, and I do one thing. Keep water from leaking everywhere. So you see why I feel useless compared to Geico, who does so much more. Like, not only could Geico save you money, but they've been around for over 75 years. And they give you 24-7 access online, over the phone, or on the Geico app. And they've got a 97% customer satisfaction rating. They do all this while I have to listen to this chucklehead. Oh, good, he stopped. Oh, great, an encore. Geico, expect great savings and a whole lot more. Here's what we do need to talk about, though. Listeners, stop what you're doing. If you're driving, keep driving, but listen carefully. There might be listeners actually doing this as they're listening to the podcast. Okay, ask yourself this question. One, do you have a dog? Okay, if the answer is yes, then ask yourself this question. Do you own a retractable leash? (laughs) If the answer to both of those questions is yes, I need you to take that leash and throw it in the garbage. First, step on it and stamp on it, or maybe even like throw it in a body of water, wherever you can get as far away from that Don't do that. That's bad for the fish. Litter bug. Oh, sorry. Don't do that. Don't don't throw it in water, guys. That was more of like a metaphorical, energetic statement. Like, I want you to do the equivalent of that, but definitely well, recycle the leash. Let's the image of Kate pouncing up and down on a retractable leash. Anyway, am I the only one, Catherine? I mean, we have this conversation no, all the time. No, no, I fully agree with you. I think retractable leashes are BS. It's, we, and part of it, here, look, if you have dogs, any good dog owner will know when your dog is on a lead, it becomes often more aggressive. A, it's being protective of its owner. And then B, it has that restriction energetically on it, so it makes it more eager to pull and lunge. We have that in our husky very much. She's a total sweetheart until she's on a lead, and then she's kind of a dick. She, she is. is. She is. She is a big jerk when she's on a lead. A big jerk. And then what happens, number one, when you have a retractable leash, why do you have it? Do you think that you're giving your dog more freedom? No, what you're doing is you're giving your dog the inability to know how much freedom it ever has. When our dogs are on our the leads, they know how much space they have. That space doesn't con- expand and contract depending on my whim. When you have your dog on a retractable leash, it thinks, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. Oh, I'm not free anymore. And there is actually no parameter for when it's free and when it's not free. And it continually just pulls itself until it gets dead stopped. And then you, as the dog owner on a retractable leash, have to like, pull it in and then and then pull it in and then pull it in and in the meantime you've wound around everybody on the street you've had an inability to pull your dog away from another dog which might be on an actual lead that has a determined length and you've created mayhem on the streets of new york and so i think retractable leashes are the streets of new york is a little specific babe 
any street. Well, you should never retractable leash in the wide open wilderness of Wyoming. Retractable leashes are awful and you shouldn't own one. You're looking at me like you don't agree. Well, I'm looking at your shoulders that are basically permanently attached to your earlobes at this point. I, no, I, <laughs> I, I, I agree. I just, I think the part for me that's more obnoxious is when this meandering dog meanders right into my dogs, which are then potentially going to be jerks. And then the owner looks at me like, why do you have such a jerk for a dog? And I'm like, why are you such a jerk as a human that you have this retractable <laughs> lead and your dog is just like this wild fish out in the ocean and then my dog's going to attack yours because your dog has no semblance of any doggy decorum and that's what goes on internally for me. Listen, there's a dog etiquette is a long discussion. But you know when the, an owner walks by and then Kiona will be like and then the owner goes, oh, to their dog. Talks to their dog and I get it. I talk to my dogs too because, oh, I guess they're not really friendly. Right. Like we can hear you. I know. And I don't like, like that either. That's another thing I don't like. There's a lot about dog etiquette that I get fired up about. But you know what? It's the end of the show. And dogs bring joy. They do. And uh, there's mostly dogs are amazing. It's just when they have to interact with other dogs that sometimes it gets a little fired up. Or actually, it's the owners. It's the owners. It's other humans. This podcast is made by ESPNW. You can check out ESPNW.com for all your women's sports news and features and anything that you want to do with lifestyle and culture that has to do with female athletes, ESPNW.com. Free Cookies is produced by the voice you heard on today's episode, Sarah Johnson, and edited by Brendan Rosen. We also got production help from Tony Chow and Martin Onebu. You can find free cookies wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts or the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And if you have some downtime, if you want to subscribe, if you want to rate it, you want to review it, or you can always hit us up at freecookies at ESPN.com. Thanks for listening, y'all. We love you. Bye. Bye.